Hi, I'm Sam and welcome to The Backbench. This is the first episode of the Politics and Current Affairs section of BenchPod, which for now will be coming out on Saturdays and we'll discuss that week's events in the ever-changing political world, as well as providing our own thoughts on relevant issues and discussing topics and questions suggested by the listeners. Uh, Though I don't have a guest today, there will often be another person on the podcast to provide different opinions and perspectives, obviously really important in, in politics, no one ever thinks exactly the same. Um, like the sports episodes, uh, this is a work in progress and I'll learn as I go and hopefully things will improve as we go on. I'm going to start things off today with the news section as always uh, and talk about some of the more noteworthy headlines from this week. Uh, the, UK has, the UK government has officially announced that it's moved to alert level 3 on the coronavirus system. We were previously at alert level 4. Um, a bit confusing considering some measures that were supposed to be taken on alert levels one and two, such as sport coming back, um, shielded people being allowed to go out and meet up with people, bigger groups dying to meet, those were associated with those alert levels, being doing, uh, announcing that those are going to be allowed while we were still on alert level four is slightly confusing, potentially worrying. um, It's brought about fresh concerns of a second wave, but for now things seem to be stable and well, as under control as they can be, (laughs) Um, more so than in previous times. Um, Something else noteworthy from this week is Dominic Raab um, saying that he would only take a knee for the Queen or his wife and describing the act as an act of subjugation and subordination and believing that it originated in Game of Thrones. Um, That says all we need to know about Dominic Raab at the moment. Um, it's it's not a good look for him at all. It's quite embarrassing and a bit sad that he doesn't know one of the where one of the most universal symbols of peaceful protest came from, um, as our foreign secretary. Uh, if you don't know, uh, the act of taking knee was popularized by Colin Kaepernick, uh, American football player, who before uh, his matches during the national anthem would take uh, take a knee as a as a sign of solidarity with. Uh, black people and a form of peaceful protest against the unequal treatment of uh, black people in the country and against police brutality and for Dominic Raab to disregard it almost and say it just came something a trend that's come from Game of Thrones is quite embarrassing and quite disappointing for our foreign secretary to say that. Uh, Someone who's been praised this week in contrast to Dominic Raab is Marcus Rashford uh, Manchester, United, Manchester United striker has been hailed as a national hero for pressuring the government into a U-turn on their uh, scheme providing free meals for kids over the summer, which has it's now been extended. Uh, this is an amazing development to happen this week. Marcus Rashford using his position and his platform to have this kind of positive influence is not only he's a role model for all kids, I think he's a role model for what other sports people and other celebrities should do. Use your own platform to to influence things positively um, at the age of only 22 as well it's, it's a really amazing thing um, recent polls have shown that Labour are around 4 or 5 points behind the Tories uh, Labour were 24 points behind when Circus Starmer became leader and Tories were often polling above 50% um, it can be argued that this is testament to Keir Starmer since he's come in being relatively unproblematic, which is fairly rare for a Labour leader. Um, And he's made a point of not politicising the crisis or not scoring political points and not cheaply attacking the government, though providing scrutiny where it is necessary. And that's 
made uh, apparently made him quite popular amongst voters. Um, it also speaks volumes about the fall in the Tories' popularity. As I said, they were polling above 50% around the start, start of the crisis. The effect of uh, rallying around the government in times of crisis seems to, have, seems to have worn off at this point. Um, and combined with things like the Dominic Cummings scandal and the ever-rising amount of deaths, which is just terrible to see, above 40,000 now. Um, that has led the Tories to fall out of favour a little bit. Of course, uh, the, another another election isn't due for four years, maybe four and a half, if it, uh, if it gets chosen to take place in December as well, which is beneficial to Johnson and his government. He's fairly lucky, in a sense, that this that all of this is happening at the start of the election cycle, rather than in the last six months, for example, where it would be turning people against him and his party. But yeah, four years is a long time, but it's a positive development for Labour and something that Tories will have to start thinking about whether they'll keep Boris Johnson and uh, his members of the cabinet around, whether Boris, well, Boris Johnson, whether they'll be patient enough to keep him as leader with him expending uh, vast amounts of political capital defending his top aide, Dominic Cummings, which not only, it, it seemed, not only was it shocking, to members of the public who were surprised that the Prime Minister was prepared to sacrifice a lot of his own reputation, his party's reputation, his government's reputation in order to protect this man. Um, he's expended vast amounts of political capital defending him, which has hurt the Tory party. And there's been a debate around whether the two metre social distancing rule should be relaxed in the UK, as it has done in other countries. Northern Ireland has become the first UK nation to implement this in some way, as the uh, dis social distancing rule in schools was reduced to one metre in order to accommodate all children going back to school. Um, this is something that uh, I believe the government will need to follow the science on. As they said, they've been doing the whole time following the science. It does seem they are saying that when it suits them, but this is crucial here because you get the same exposure to coronavirus uh, at one metre for six seconds as you do at two metres for uh, for two minutes or one minute, I believe. But yeah, it's a massive difference. And though it would make a massive difference to the economy in shortening the distance to one metre, allows pubs, restaurants, bars to open more recently, uh, uh, more easily, sorry. It's a massive, massive risk that some people may not be comfortable with health-wise. And something that the government have to kind of think about really seriously. And finally, Katie Hopkins has been banned from Twitter permanently. Um, all I can say is it's about time. Uh, there have been calls for her to go for ages, continuously spreading hate speech, inciting division. It it's it was time for her to go. There have been uh, some concerns about banning someone permanently is a violation of free speech. But there is a difference between free speech and hate speech and suspending Kate Hopkins' account permanently was undoubtedly the right decision. So for the main part of the episode, I'm introducing a new segment called For the People in the Back. This is a segment where guests will be able to get something off their chest and express an opinion that they feel really needs to be heard. Obviously, I don't have a guest today, so on this first episode, I'll be the one saying something for the people in the back and expressing my opinions on something I feel strongly about. 
that being the Black Lives Matter movement for today. I'd like to discuss some points which really need uh, not only to be heard, but understood by everyone. Um, Some facts which, if you don't really accept, will lead to the uh, BLM movement being undermined and people not taking it seriously or perceiving it negatively, which can't really happen. Um, First of all, there is nothing political about the Black Lives Matter movement. It's a human rights movement. It's been perceived excuse me, as a left wing by some people, and that isn't true. It's, it's a human rights ideology which seeks to unite everyone in order to better the treatment of black people globally. Um, it's no, nobody's making it political, apart from hard right conservatives, and that's not to say that the right or conservatives in general don't understand the Black Lives Matter movement because they do. This Black Lives Matter movement has been accepted and pushed by people across the political spectrum. But people who are genu- genuinely comes from those type of people, you know, the type of people with British the British flag in their name and bio plastered all over their Twitter, that those kind of people. Um, they're describing it as a left-wing movement when it's not. It's simply a human rights movement to better the treatment of black people universally. It's not something to oppose politically. And I think that's what a lot more people need to understand in order to accept the Black Lives Matter movement. It needs to be put forward as something that we all need to be united on. Um, Something that uh, has also bothered me about this is that people are claiming that they can still be an anti-racist and not support the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, There aren't many, there are, well, there are no reasons to support, not support the Black Lives Matter movement because it is literally campaigning against racism if you don't if you don't support that think about what that's saying but the reasons people have given is like them the the methods of protest some people say tearing down statues without <laughs> without democratic means isn't okay and of course uh attacking police officers like throwing bottles or there's a video of someone throwing a bike at a police horse. That's no, that can't be encouraged. And that says, that's why I can't support Black Lives Matter when they advocate that kind of thing. Um, isolated incidents like that do not represent a whole cause. People are keen, always keen to say these kind of police officers don't represent the police as a whole. So then they also need, what they also need to understand and accept is that individual acts by Black Lives Matter protesters that are harmful do not represent Black Lives Matter as a whole. And personally, I, I think there are a lot more things to be concerned about than statues coming down, especially statues of slave traders. If you've got more of a problem with the statue of a slave trader coming coming down than the actual racism itself, that's something you need to think about. But yeah, it's not, be possible, it's not possible to be an anti-racist if you do not support the Black Lives Matter movement as it is a campaign against racism. Uh, something else which the British flag Twitter people like to say is that Black Lives Matter incites hatred and division, when in reality, it does. It's attempting to do exactly the opposite. Where what the, what we are all doing as part of the Black Lives Matter movement is asking everyone to work together for equality. We're not trying to say. We're not trying. No one's trying to cause a war. No one's trying to split people into sides. We're just trying to unite everyone against racism. 
if you're looking for someone to get mad at for creating division, look at someone like Tommy Robinson or Katie Hopkins or Donald Trump, who in a, in a, in a lot of the time encourage racism, actual actively encourage racism, which does create division. Something that creates division is racism. Literally, it's 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 what it does. It's on it's in the name. Working together to eradicate racism and stop people being divided uh, in a in a discriminatory way because of their skin colour is that that's not divisive. That's trying to bring people together. Um, also, when your favourite celebrity or politician says that Black Lives Matter, they're not race baiting or virtue signalling. They're showing their support for a campaign that is demanding an end to the oppression of black people. They're not doing it for clout. Well, I can I can't speak for everyone, but most people I have faith in most celebrities and famous people to uh enough faith in them that they're not just doing it for attention and to maintain their good look. They're doing it because they actually care about the lives of black people. Uh the term virtue signaling is used a lot nowadays as in like in the sense with political correctness that people need to maintain that kind of thing they need to like it's often used again with the term snowflake and describing people as soft for not being able to take an offensive joke and virtue signaling is causing companies celebrities to act in a different way and appeal to their minority bases when that's not true saying black lives matter is just showing a support for a human rights movement that is demanding, as I said, demanding an end to the oppression of black people and asking for all, asking for black people to be treated equally as everyone. Um, one of the most important ones here is that the name of the movement and what we're all saying is that black lives matter. No one said only black lives matter. Black lives matter and white lives don't. Not all lives matter. No one said black lives matter and are more important than other lives. No one said any of those things. We said black lives matter. Interpreting it as it being black lives matter and other lives don't, which is used a lot by the all lives matter crowd. We know that we know that all lives matter, but all lives will not matter until black lives matter. That is what we're trying to get across here. The next thing I'm going to discuss on this fairly vast list of things surrounding Black Lives Matter is about white privilege. Uh, white privilege doesn't mean that you haven't or won't suffer hardships if you're white. It doesn't mean that you won't. That doesn't mean that white people don't face difficulties in their life. It means that the colour of white people's skin will not make their life harder. No one's saying here that all white people are extremely privileged in the sense that they can get whatever they want in their life and get all the things that they want because they're white. They're just saying that white people will never face oppression as a direct result of their skin colour, which is what people need to understand here. It's not saying that, oh, you're lucky to be white, you can go wherever you want and without facing any kind of difficulty. That's not that's not what we're saying. Uh, what's being said is that all white people benefit from white privilege because their skin colour doesn't make their life harder that's it that's all that's to be said here uh furthermore keep going on with this list uh we're not protesting against a singular singular instance of racism in america we're 
protesting against years of brutal oppression against black people. Uh, don't need don't need to say any more about that one. I think it speaks for itself. And finally, to wrap this up, less racist does not mean not racist. Just because black people aren't treated as badly as they were in the previous century does not mean that they're treated equally or fairly today. Yeah, in previous times, it's a more racist time to live. But it doesn't mean that everything's fine now. Also, this applies to politicians and public figures. Um, there was a lot of debate surrounding uh, the, uh, the graffiti on Winston Churchill's statue because obviously he was a uh, prime minister at time of time of World War Two. Uh, made speeches, led the country through the war in a sense, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he had a lot of racist beliefs, and a lot of people come back to that and say, "What about Hitler? Look at the guy he defeated. He was a monster. He was miles worse." Which is absolutely true, but just because of the fact that Churchill was less racist than Hitler doesn't make him not racist, which is key. For the final segment of the podcast, I'm going to answer some questions and discuss some topics uh, as suggested by the listeners of the podcast. Uh, firstly, I've got a question from Fraser on Twitter. Shout out to Fraser, at Fraser underscore THFC. And he says, uh, if you were a Prime Minister, what would be the first three policies you would implement? And this is a really tough question. It's really interesting, something I had to give a lot of thought. And even when I approached it in a different way, <laughs> it was still really difficult. So I eventually decided to approach it as uh, what three issues would I like to tackle because if I was in the situation of a prime minister I'd like to see some the kind of change that wouldn't happen overnight you know as opposed to policies that you could just implement immediately and they're all to me they're all three equally important issues um first one is racial equality obviously that's something that's really prominent at the moment with the Black Lives Matter movement um more pressing more urgent than it previously has been and I believe that the root of this issue lies within education. Teaching uh, children as early as primary school that Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, and teaching them how to be an anti-racist is so important. Instilling that kind of ideology in someone was well, not an ideology; it's a, that that kind of acceptance that equality is a human right within people in their formative years is a massive is massively important telling people as they as they as they grow up to abandon the status quo what they know that's more difficult but if you're looking at long-term change for future generations that is where you need to where you need to start there are other other things that you need to tackle within education like teaching black history not just teaching black history once a year because because it suits you teaching black history constantly not omitting it from curriculums also, specifically in Britain, um, teach about the history of the British Empire and not just the good things. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but when I was in school, I was taught we had an empire. We went to a few countries, they were invaded. We ruled over them for a while, blah, blah, blah. And then they got independence. Completely glossing over literal genocide in quite a few countries and slavery and, again, systemic oppression of black people. That's not taught in schools. That's ignored. A lot of people have been saying we can't ignore our history when we're talking about the statues of slave traders. Well, if we can't ignore our history, 
then we need to acknowledge it and educate people about it in schools. Uh, also in terms of racial equality in the world of work, um, opportunities need to be given to black people. This, this isn't just um, just saying give a job to a black person because they're black. I'll, I'll use an example that's been used in sports recently as what's known as the Rooney Rule implemented in the NFL in the United States. And it's being used, I think, in the English Football League in the lower two divisions. I think it will be I think it will be used in the Premier League at some point, hopefully. But it states that when interviewing for a managerial candidate or a coaching position, all clubs and teams must interview at least one candidate from an ethnic minority background, which is crucial. It's not just giving the person to a, a black person because they're black. It's giving people from ethnic minority backgrounds the same opportunities as white people also what is important in the world of work people are instantly uh, prejudged victims of prejudice because of their names or uh, their names or their appearance often on job applications and before and during interviews um, doing doing blind applications is good only using first names and not knowing what the person looks like until you get to the final stage of an interview, which is the interview, excuse me, um, is what needs to happen in order for everyone to be treated equally in that process. Um, the second issue I went with was ending poverty. And that's a really broad issue and it's hard to attribute uh, individual action to each areas of that. But like, you know, the goal would be to... Um, for example, stop people, uh, stop people from having a need to use food banks within three to five years or something. You know, you don't want anybody to use them. You don't want anybody to have to being forced to use food banks. Um, raising minimum wage, as suggested previously by the Labour Party at the twenty nineteen election, is an example of that. Um, affordable housing is crucial especially in play in London where houses are expensive absolutely everywhere in London and if people it's giving giving young people virtually no chance to get on the property ladder those coming out of university who need who need it it's giving them virtually no chance of that um, access to technology and providing general better education for children in schools and at home again it's quite a broad topic and it's hard to assign individual action but it's those kind of things that are needed. And ending austerity, which speaks for itself, you know, that's that's obvious. And finally, um, the issue of climate change. I'd like to see a Green New Deal and be carbon neutral, as being suggested by uh, 2050, I believe it is. Um, for that to happen, much more funding needs to be committed towards renewable sources of energy, uh, Free public, tran uh, free public transport potentially in some places for commuters, well, well, commuters who drive to work, you know, take cars off roads, people are convinced to go on, uh, to convince to go on public transport, that kind of thing. And establishing cycle routes across like the whole of London in particular. When I went to Berlin last summer, I was surprised by the amount of cycle routes across the whole city. It was really accommodating for cyclists. Um, it was refreshing, whereas in London, you would get 
a short cycle path which stops in the middle of a road and puts cyclists in a dangerous position, forces them to go on forces them to go on the roads, which puts a lot of people off cycling. If you had established cycle routes across the whole of the city, it'd encourage a lot more people to cycle, a lot more people a lot more people to not drive to work. It'd be a lot safer in general for cyclists. Um so yeah, those are the three three issues that I'd choose to tackle. Really good question from from Fraser there. Um, I'd like to know everyone else's three issues they tackle or three policies they'd implement. Uh, let me know on Twitter at BenchPodWithSam or you can email questions to questions or answers to uh, at BenchPod, uh, BenchPodWithSam at gmail.com And finally, I've also been asked to discuss the issue of people saying um, I'm glad I live in the UK and not America. And this is in regards to racism and systemic oppression. Now, there is no doubt that America, uh, the USA, has a serious problem with racism and systemic oppression, but it's foolish to pretend that the UK doesn't. While the issue is is, al- is always and has always been prominent in the UK, uh, sorry, excuse me, in the USA, it isn't always like that here. There are have been countless cases of police brutality here, and murders of innocent black people, which again doesn't get the same kind of attention that it does in America because it's not the same, doesn't have the same level of prominence here. And arguably, systemic racism here is far more sinister, as people often pretend like the issue doesn't exist, which leads people then to be content with maintaining the status quo. Advocating diversity is often disregarded as box ticking or is even said to be denying white people opportunities, which completely ignores the fact that it is abundantly clear that diversity is needed to ensure that minority groups are accurately represented. Uh, This happens on a regular basis alongside various other forms of systemic racism, such as, as I I mentioned earlier, people from minority backgrounds being instantly judged or racially profiled as a result of their name, their skin colour, their accent, often preventing them from progressing in the world of work. And that's not even mentioning the microaggressions, microaggressions excuse me, that minorities face daily. Like const- constantly asking to touch a black woman's hair or telling someone they don't look like they don't look like they're from the country that they say they are is not okay. Things need to change all over the world, not just in the USA. This is a global movement demanding urgent change. Uh thank you for listening to the uh, the Backbench, uh, Backbench podcast. Thank you for making it this far. Um, if you've got any questions or topics for me to discuss, just let me know. As I said, at Benchpod with Sam on Twitter, um, Benchpod with Sam at gmail.com. And you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts where my podcast is available and on Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, those kind of platforms. As I said, thank you for listening to my podcast. The Subs Bench will be out on Tuesday. We'll discuss the Premier League's restart and this week in football and other sports as well and next week I'll have a guest on the backbench on the backbench politics podcast uh thank you very much for listening